success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. Guess what? We have another invincible woman for you today. We have Dr. Brooke Smith, PhD. She's a productivity coach and mindfulness expert. She helps busy women entrepreneurs get the freedom they dreamed of when they started their businesses. Brooke transforms personal and professional productivity through mindfulness with a focus on where entrepreneurs apply their energy. Women come to her feeling overwhelmed and unfulfilled with too much to do and not enough support. She works with them in designing a life and workflow that allows for ease and spaciousness while scaling their business and reintroducing enjoyment. In her prior career, she managed the Operational Excellence Program at a $1 billion year business and trained hundreds of people to create streamlined, customer-delighting business processes. She has been featured in over a dozen media outlets, including Forbes, Fast Company, InStyle Magazine, Thrive Global, and Parade Magazine. She has a PhD from the University of Toronto, an MBA from Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, and certifications in yoga instruction, therapeutic yoga, life coaching, wellness coaching, NLP, hypnotherapy. Brooke lives with her artist husband and two cats in Rochester, New York, where you can find them mountain biking, local trails, playing board games, and eating curry tempeh tacos. Yes, yes. Welcome, Brooke. It is so, so great to have you here on the She's Invincible podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Cammie. Oh, the pleasure is mine. Listen, let's jump in. Oh, with this bio, these guys are not going to want to wait a second to hear from you. So let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? Well, I got where I am today by teaching yoga while I was working a corporate job, while I was building a rental property business with my husband. And eventually yoga started creeping into my day-to-day at corporate. And I realized that I was practicing a lot of what I had been learning in yoga, how to stay calm and manage my mind and be really intentional about where I was putting my energy and effort, how I was communicating with other people, how I was showing up. And all of that had the effect of making me really effective at my corporate job, even though it felt like I was working way less hard than all of the people around me. And 
eventually people kept asking me, how do you make time for everything? How is it that you have this high pressure corporate sales job and your rental property business and you teach yoga and you're training for ultra marathons and you still have time to play all these board games with your husband and watch TV with your kitties and read trashy novels. How do you have time for all of it? And I realized then after dozens of people asked me that question, that was actually my superpower was how to get so much done and to be able to do so many things while actually enjoying myself and feeling really good in the process. I love it. So you have done a lot of things. So tell us, give it, just bridge that gap. So, so you're in corporate. So then what, what brought you to yoga? Was it just your personal preference? You wanted to practice yoga? So it started out as fitness. I, you know, I had been going to a gym. I was going after work every day. I started wandering into yoga classes once in a while. And it felt like the perfect way to transition from a stressful day running around, you know, breaking up arguments and making slide presentations for executives to just spend an hour in my body in a quiet room. And then I would get home feeling refreshed and energized and clear instead of taking the stress of the workday home with me. And then after I'd been practicing for a couple of years, I had a professional disappointment where I had applied for an internal promotion and I was sure I was going to get it. It was my dream opportunity and I did not get it. And in that moment, I realized that I could do yoga teacher training. Not getting this job meant that I wasn't going to have to do all the travel that was going to come with this job. I wasn't going to be learning a new role. So suddenly I realized I had the space in my schedule to sign up for a 200-hour yoga teacher training that winter. And I did. And I'd say the rest is history, but there is actually one more funny part. And that's that when I finished yoga teacher training, my trainer told me that I was like, okay at it. And I wanted to be really good at it. And I knew the only way to get good at it was to start teaching. So I immediately got a job at a local recreation center and started teaching. And within a few months, I was getting rave reviews from my students. Uh, my students were telling me that they had just felt hypnotized into relaxation and Shavasana and that my verbal cues felt like a hands-on assist. And that's amazing. From there, I never went back. Oh my gosh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And you know, you're such an overachiever. So you have a master's, <laughs> you went on, you got your PhD. Amazing. Congratulations. But then you've got all these other certifications. Tell us about the mind that that inspires you to want so much more. So learning is my drug of choice. Um, I'm an Enneagram five and my first degree was in cognitive science. Um, I sort of stumbled into this. I bounced around to five or six different majors and halfway through college, I thought, okay, I just have to figure out the quickest way to graduate now. Cause I've taken a whole bunch of courses that don't make sense together. And cognitive science was my quickest path to graduation. And I thought that I would either get a corporate job or become a psychology researcher. But in my final year of university, I was taking a course on how cognitive brain imaging um, can teach us about 
cognitive function and how the brain processes information and learns and manages attention. And the professor lost patience with me after I had asked a lot of questions about uh, the methodology and how the data was analyzed. And I had some concerns that the data was being analyzed in a way that was only telling the scientists what they wanted to hear. And he very sternly said to me, Brooke, you are a very smart girl, but you are not a scientist. You are a philosopher and you need to go ask these questions in someone else's class. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's how I ended up going to grad school and getting a PhD. I love that story. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. Well, that answers the question. So here you go. What makes you invincible? <laughs> what makes me invincible is I am completely accepting of the reality that I can't control the world. I can't control the future. I can't control other people. The only thing I can control is where I put my time, attention, energy, and effort. I can control the way I show up. And that is it. And that makes me invincible because whatever situation I am dropped into, I will find a way to thrive. I love that. That does make you invincible. And you just set the stage beautifully because today we are talking about internal and external resistance. And so this goes, keeps going. <laughs> so let's continue this conversation and tell us what we need to know about internal and external resistance. So anyone who is in business or really anyone who ever needs to get anything done, can probably relate to seeing a task on your list or a project that you want to get done and being willing to do everything except that project. You're like, oh, I should, I should clean the kitchen countertops. <laughs> like, I should clean out my closet. Organize my sock drawer. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I should go, I should go find someone who's gonna who's gonna plow the driveways this winter. It's never too soon to, to get a new plowing contract. When we feel that internal resistance to getting something done, we will do anything to avoid it. And this is counterproductive in a few ways. First of all, it usually means that we are expending a ton of energy on things that aren't moving the needle. The thing that we actually want to move is not moving at all. It is getting stuck in place, seizing up, frozen in place, while we are wasting all of our time, energy, attention, and effort everywhere else. But the other problem with this is the longer we avoid doing that thing that we had set out to do, the harder it is to get started because in our minds, we're building it up to being so much bigger and worse than it is. And then on top of that, we're creating evidence for ourselves that it's bigger and scarier than it is because what would have been a two hour project if we had just tackled it turns into a two month project while we're doing all of the other things and avoiding it. And our brain files it away as a two month project, not a two hour project. So this is what happens when we don't learn how to move through internal resistance. The other thing that we do that's really sneaky is we create external problems to solve in order to avoid moving through the internal resistance. So one thing I see a lot in my entrepreneur clients is they'll feel internal resistance to selling. They are afraid of selling. So they will create more tasks to do, like rewrite the website, change payment processors, watch a ton of marketing courses, um, set up a bunch of email automations. They will create external tasks to do 
to avoid the one thing that's really going to move the needle that they're afraid of doing. And over time, I've come to recognize this pattern as internal versus external resistance, because on one pathway, if we look at this as a fork in the road, there's a path where all you have to do is get past that internal resistance to selling or marketing or visibility or whatever it is. And once you get through that internal resistance, the thing is actually pretty straightforward and easy. And then there's this other path that feels very safe because you don't have to do anything that's emotionally scary. There's no internal resistance to changing payment processors or watching a bunch of webinars. But then we create all of this external stuff that we need to wade through to get to the end result of being able to market ourselves, make sales, and have a viable business. So usually when we learn to work through the internal resistance, we can take a much faster and smoother path to the outcome. But when we're afraid of the internal resistance, we have to take these very roundabout labor-intensive roads to get there. Oh, I've been there. I feel like you're speaking to me right now. (laughs) I'm like a bobblehead over here. Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper. Can you give our listeners some tips around this to tackle this? Like, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of the book, Eat That Frog, you know, right? Like all these different things. So could you give some tips around this of how do you do this? So I'm going to tell you up front, the theme behind all these tips is going to be get uncomfortable on purpose. Okay. I love that. So the first one is to write everything down, externalize your thoughts, because we waste a ton of effort carrying around thoughts in our head. And this is everything from the grocery list to the to-do list, to the decisions that are kind of looming over our heads, situations that we're thinking about that are maybe stressing us out a little bit and other unrelated thoughts like, oh, I've got to trim the cat's toenails today. They're getting kind of sharp. All of this is swimming around in our heads at the same time. And that's leaving very little working memory available to do productive things and to do those tasks that are actually going to move the needle. So write everything down, clear out your brain. The other reason I really recommend this is that once you write everything down, you're able to take a step back and be much more intentional about where you want to focus your effort. Once you can actually see on paper all the things you're avoiding, all the things that are stressing you out, all of the things that you think you need to do, but maybe aren't actually essential, the thing that's really important is probably going to jump out at you, like screaming, arms waving, and be like, I'm really the thing. Everything else is leading to me. So if you just take care of me, you're going to make big progress. The second thing I recommend is practicing mindfulness. And this does not have to be sitting still on a cushion meditating. Um, I admit that I have always struggled to meditate. Even when I was a yoga instructor, I struggled to meditate. And I still don't do a lot of sitting my butt on a cushion meditating. I do a lot of other mindfulness practice throughout my day. And that's what I encourage my clients to do also, because I guess like attracts like, and I attract a lot of people who also don't like sit on the butt and meditate. Go for a walk with no distractions and just notice the sensation of the soles of your feet. (sighs) Stretch, move your body. You can sitting in your chair, get up and walk around. Just move your body and notice how it feels. Foam rolling is 
it counts as mindfulness. If you do it with no distractions, it feels really good. It relaxes your body, but you're getting that same sort of tactile feedback where you make a movement in your body, you receive a sensation, and then you make an adjustment based on the way that you're feeling. It's mindfulness. Brushing your teeth can be a mindfulness exercise. The reason mindfulness is so important is that a huge amount of our internal resistance is caused by our thoughts. It's caused by this narrative in our mind of all of the scary things that could happen if we move forward. What are we afraid of? Are we going to be judged? Are we going to be rejected? Are we going to be ridiculed? Are we going to be embarrassed? Are people going to disagree with us? Are we going to be trolled? Are people going to find out that we don't know anything? And how did we possibly get to where we are today when we're so underqualified? Like these are all of the narratives that are often playing, especially in women's brains, just on like a low level in the background all the time. But your brain cannot play these narratives while it is focused on the direct sensory experience of the present moment. So the more you practice being in the direct sensory experience of the present moment, you are also learning how to modulate that freight train of self-criticism that goes through your head all the time. So if your brain starts telling you this is never going to work, notice the soles of your feet, notice the sensation of clothing against your skin, notice your breath, and even just spend a few seconds there. And when you open your eyes, that train will be moving a little slower. That talk track will be a little bit quieter. And then number three is once you have a clear idea of what your step is and you've practiced making those fear narratives just a little bit quieter, do the thing anyway. Because every time you do the thing, you are creating evidence for your brain that it is perfectly safe to do scary, uncomfortable things. And the more evidence you create for your brain that it's perfectly safe to do scary, uncomfortable things, then it's just a little bit easier to do the scary, uncomfortable thing the next time. And one thing that is universally true of entrepreneurship is it's scary and it's uncomfortable. And it never stops being scary and uncomfortable. Part of our job as entrepreneurs and owners of human brains is just to get better at being scared and uncomfortable. Yes. Oh my gosh. I even love that you said that. Oh, it, we can do hard things, right? Yes. Oh, I love that. Oh, this was perfect. Just such great, great tips today. Anything else you want to share about that? What would you say your number one productivity tip is like overall? Over one, it's say no more. The thing that gets so many women in trouble, you know, to get us into this situation where we start our day with 30 things on our to-do list and we work all day and then we steal more time to work in the evening. And then we go to bed with 50 things on our to-do list, tossing and turning, wondering how we worked so hard only to add stuff to our to-do list. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's not that we're unproductive. It's that we are saying yes to everything. We're overcommitting, we're overbooking ourselves, and we're setting ourselves up for overwhelm because we're not being discerning about what we commit to. That I agree with 100%. In fact, I think it was two years ago, my word for the year was yes. And because it was like, I wanted to only say yes to the things that were moving me closer to my goals and dreams. And so it would force me to say no to everything else. And so it was kind of like the play on the opposite, but I love that. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree with you more. Well, this has been amazing. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, my website, drbrooksmith.com. 
Love it. Oh, that couldn't be any easier, right? Oh my gosh. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. Well, Brooke, this has been amazing. And, you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs and we are going to share their expert zone of genius. You just did that so well. Thank you you. so much. I know this is going to help so many people, but we also promise them that we're going to pull back the curtain. See, women are always comparing themselves. So they see how successful you are, but they have no idea the obstacles that you had to overcome to get that success. Everybody wants to be successful like you, but nobody wants to deal with what you've had to deal with. Isn't that the truth? And so, but that we don't talk about that because as successful women, we know that's not what brings more success, but there is this place where when we know better and we learn these things, we kind of have a responsibility to share them with the world. And so today we're going to share a little bit about your journey and help encourage women that may be facing obstacles and ready to give up on their own dreams. Are you ready? Yes. Awesome. So we're going to start with the good. Let's share a story of the good part of your journey. So I have been obsessed with time freedom since I started my first job, which was many years ago now. But I remember when I started my first job, realizing that I wasn't getting paid to be smart. I wasn't getting paid to know things. I wasn't even getting paid to produce really high quality, brilliant work. I was getting paid to be physically present in an office for eight or nine hours a day. I didn't own my time. And I hated that idea of not owning my time. And then the next over a decade of my life, I was really obsessed with how can I change my life, rearrange my life to get to the point where I do own my time. And it was never about not wanting to work because I love work. I love creating and I love helping people, but I wanted to be able to do it on my own schedule. And I wanted to be able to decide where I was and when and what I was doing and what were my high value activities. And over the last few years, it felt like Time freedom was so far away. I was still in a corporate sales job right up until the pandemic. I was traveling a lot for my corporate sales job. And it just felt like no matter how hard I worked, I was never going to get the time freedom that I wanted. And then this April, I lost my job. And for about five minutes, (laughs) I was very upset. I cried. I called my husband and cried. I was like, how is this happening? I'm one of the best salespeople. Everyone knows I'm one of the best salespeople. And then I hung up the phone with him and I looked outside. It was a beautiful sunny day in the spring. I was like, I can go outside. 
this is what I wanted all along and now I have it. And over the next few days, I looked at the finances. I looked at the money that was coming in from my coaching business and from our rental property business and from Matt's glass business. And I realized I don't ever have to go back. The freedom that I'd wanted all along was just delivered to me by the universe. And all of the work that I had put in over the preceding years. I love that story because this is what I love. You actually manifested that, but it looked different to you, right? We manifest in a way like we have our own idea of what it's supposed to look like. And for you, it looked different because it was you losing a job versus what you thought the pretty little package should look like. But the result was the same. And I absolutely love that. And it took you five whole minutes, Brooke. (laughs) I think that's very productive and time freeing. It took you five whole minutes to realize, oh my gosh, I just got exactly what I wanted. And yes, and maybe it didn't look the way that I thought it would, but the outcome is exactly what I was looking for. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Love. I love those stories. They're some of my favorite stories because I think just as humans, we always create in our mind exactly how things are supposed to go down. And yet there, you know, the universe has like this bigger, better plan. And there you are. I love that. In my mind, it was going to be so different. Yes, it always is. Right. But we have to be open. I always say like, you know, be open to whatever the possibilities are, because you, you know, you're asking for one thing, but you could get something so much better. And that's what happened with you. Exactly. You got what you wanted, but you, you were able to release that work and that time and all get all of that back. And that's amazing. Yeah. I would Uh, have spent years working towards what I thought I was, you know, what I thought the goal was. And instead the universe was like, nope, you're getting it now. And it's going to be very different than you think. Yes. And it really, it forced you to look at like your financial situation to realize everything you needed was already there. Right. Isn't that the story of Oz, you know, of Dorothy? It's like in the end of the movie, she finds out that every, she had everything she needed within. Well, you did too. And it wasn't until you were forced to take a look at that to say, oh my gosh, we can do this. I don't need that job and I don't need another job either. And I just, that is such a beautiful story. What a story. I love the analogy of Dorothy. Oh yes. Yes. You had everything within you, girl, (laughs) everything you needed. You just didn't know it yet. Oh, and I, you know, and that's the message to everyone out there in the world is we're all searching for the next best thing. And the truth is stop just we're wasting time. Like you said, you know, with all finding things to do, uh, in different, you know, creative avoidance and, you know, you have what you need. You just need courage, that three seconds of courage to step into it. Oh my gosh. I love the good. The good is always the best. Right. And then we get to talk about the bad, but we get to smile. So share with us a story of the bad. So for me, the bad was a almost two decades long struggle with bulimia. Um, It started when I was a teenager, and then I went through a period of time in my 20s where I really thought that I was recovered, but in reality, I'm pretty sure I was just still acting out all of my disordered eating patterns in a way that looked like, quote, unquote, healthy. (laughs) And then in my early 30s, I had like a big, epic relapse and realized that this was not how I wanted to live my life. I discovered intuitive eating and that's truly what changed my life and set me on the path that I'm on now. 
because with intuitive eating, I had to let go of attachment to the outcome of being a certain size of hitting a certain number on the scale, reconnect with my body and trust the process. And that experience with overcoming an eating disorder and putting the trust in my body and my intuition is what was the catalyst for me realizing that trying to control things was a huge waste of time, energy, attention, and effort. And I, once I saw that in my life and I realized that I'd spent 20 years trying to control my body. And in the 20 years that I'd been trying to control my body, I had not been doing the things I wanted to do because I was counting calories and macros and obsessing over every bite and every workout. And when I stopped, I had so much freedom. I was able to finish my MBA. I started a new job. That's when I went to sales. My husband and I bought our second rental property and undertook a huge renovation. And I ran my fastest marathon ever. All in the year that I stopped trying to control my body. And I realized what else is possible for us when we stop trying to control things. Now, it's when I realized I can't control people. All I can do is control the way I show up and let other people be themselves. It's when I realized that in a leadership role, you actually can't control the people who work for you. Like you can set them up for success. You can give them guidance and you can give them space to do high value work and to grow and develop and thrive. And I realized you can't control your customers or your stakeholders. You can't make them buy. You can't make them do things. All you can do is give them a clear path and then they can decide if they walk it. So those were all of the lessons that I learned, the life lessons that have impacted the way I live and the way I do business and what I teach. But there's also like a deeper dark side here. And that's that like so many women, I still struggle with feeling, feeling confident in my body. And the only difference now is that I don't let it stop me. There are still days where I feel like, oh, I can't possibly show up on video, but I do it anyway, because I know that that's the kind of example that I want to set. I love that. And you are doing that and other people will do it because they see you do it and you're really encouraging them. Let's talk for a couple of minutes. I know we didn't have this planned at all, <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about intuitive eating because this is not our topic today, but uh, women suffer from this, uh, from bulimia and all other types of disorders. And I would love to hear a few tips from you about this intuitive eating and how they can overcome and take their control back instead of you know, trying to control things. They just lean into it, right? So for anyone who's new to the idea of intuitive eating, the intention of it is that instead of trying to control what you eat from a sort of cognitive mind-centered place, you learn to tune into what your body really desires and eat what you desire. So for me, and I should mention, it's really important to trust the process because if you don't trust the process, it makes you crazy. My first few weeks of intuitive eating, I basically lived on chocolate covered almonds because it was the only thing I wanted. Like morning, noon, and night, all I wanted was chocolate covered almonds. And thankfully, after a few weeks of that, I woke up one morning and really wanted a salad for breakfast. So I ate a salad for breakfast. 
And this is very normal for people on an intuitive eating journey. There's a honeymoon period where you'll want to eat all of the foods that you've been denying yourself for a long time. And you might gain weight. And it's so important to trust the process because no one can tell you ahead of time what your body is going to look like, what size you're going to be when you start listening to your intuition. The only thing that can really be promised is that you are going to feel satisfied and satiated and free from all of the cognitive gymnastics of trying to control what you eat. So it was scary. I I gained weight and then it was almost like a, a switch flipped. And I realized, oh, just because I'm allowed to eat all of this doesn't mean I have to eat all of it all the time. And that's actually, I think, my second big piece of advice for anyone who's on an intuitive eating journey is recognize that everything is available to you. And that means that you get to decide what you want every moment of every day. Something can be a yes now and a no in five minutes. Something can be a no yesterday and a yes today. Every moment you get to decide what you want, how much you want, and what your body wants. And over time, it does get easier. I promise it gets easier. In the beginning, it feels strange. Like there were days where I would wake up and I wouldn't get hungry for a few hours and I'd wait until I felt hunger sensations to eat because that was something that was important to me was to reconnect with my sensations of hunger and fullness. And then whenever the hunger sensations came, I would eat, but sometimes I would like heat up my leftovers, take two bites and say, no, this isn't what I want. I want something else. Put it back in the fridge and go look for something else. And it's all part of the process because the only way to reconnect with your body and to learn how to understand what you want is to experiment. My third piece of advice is that a lot of people who are learning intuitive eating are so disconnected from their bodies that we don't know what hunger and fullness feel like anymore. To get through that, what I recommend is if you don't know if you're hungry or full, first pause for a couple minutes, do any mindfulness practice of your choice just to Give yourself a little bit of distance from whatever thoughts might be telling you, you should be hungry, you shouldn't be hungry, you should or shouldn't want food. And then if you're still not sure, have a couple bites of food. If the food makes you feel better, like it is filling a hole in your stomach, you were probably hungry. If the food makes you feel eh, you probably weren't hungry. Approach everything with the spirit of experimentation. Try things and notice how they feel. Because over time, that knowledge will become innate and you'll be able to feed yourself with way less thought and effort. That is amazing. Oh my gosh, there you go. Bonus episode right there. (laughs) (laughs) Intuitive eating bonus episode by Dr. Brooke. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is amazing. Okay. And I, you know, I love what you said about like, trust the process. And how was that with you being bulimic, like gaining weight? Did that freak you out at first or were so you much? Yeah. Because like, that's the whole thing with bulimia is that you don't want to gain any weight. And then all of a sudden you shift into this other place of 
now all of a sudden you're gaining weight on purpose because you're eating whatever you want. It was terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. Cause on one hand I was feeling so good. I was like, look at all this stuff I'm getting done and I'm sleeping so well. And I have all this time and energy. And then on the other hand, every morning I would get dressed and my pants were getting a little bit tighter. And so it was a daily struggle to not get stressed out as my pants were getting a little bit tighter. And it truly is part of the process um, because I think a lot of us, when we start intuitive eating, are buying into a hope that once we master it, we'll end up even smaller than when we started. And part of the process is letting go of that attachment to to eventually ending up smaller than when we started and accepting that we're going to end up at whatever weight is naturally healthy for our bodies. That is such freedom. Yes, it really is. That is such freedom right there. I love it. Well, thank you so much for that. And now as much fun as that was, we have to talk about the ugly. (laughs) Can you believe that wasn't the ugly? I know, right? I say that all day long to people like, and you would think this would have been the ugly, but nope, there's more. (laughs) Yeah. So share with us your story of the ugly part of your journey. Yeah. So the, the first year that I brought my business online, I had been, I was teaching yoga locally and I realized, I was like, if I could just make more money teaching yoga, I could quit my corporate job. And if I went to teaching yoga online, you know, there's all of these different ways that I could scale. So I was pretty committed to doing it, but I was also still very afraid of being seen. I was still very self-conscious about my body and I was really afraid of being judged. What are, what will my friends think? Um, And although I was in a corporate sales job, I literally sold expensive technology for a living I was terrified of selling my own services, selling like yoga instruction, mindfulness, coaching. So for the first year of my business, I did exactly what I describe as sort of the before picture what not to do. I did all of the like backend things that I possibly could to set up my business, but I was so determined to not tell anyone that I had a business. I was in pure hiding. What was that like for you? It was really frustrating because there was a part of me that was like, well, I'm doing everything. Why am I not like selling every single day? Why are people not magically finding me? Because I was too in it to see that the reason nobody was finding me was because I was actually not making myself findable at all. Where's Waldo, right? You're hiding. (laughs) Like, sure, someone could totally find me if they already knew who I was, knew my name, knew what I do, and know the secret knock. So let me ask you this question. So now that you're here looking back at that, would you say it wasn't about sales at all? It was about you being visible? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're hiding behind it by saying like, I have all this sales experience and I've been selling for all these years and I was the best salesperson ever, but it wasn't, you weren't selling yourself. You were selling someone else's product. And then all of a sudden you come into entrepreneurship and you're like, I've got to sell Dr. Brooke Smith. (laughs) 
And that really is a game changer, isn't it? It is. And that's what I realized. Like selling is just a skill set. Like it's, it's teachable. It's learnable. I mean, the most important things about sales could be distilled into like a one page Google doc, in my opinion. Absolutely. (laughs) But they being able to show up and sell yourself, knowing that you are the product, that you are the brand, that you are the essence of all of it is so scary. And I was not prepared for how, how scary it would be. And then also I wasn't prepared for how much shame I would have around it, that I would be so worried about what all of my friends with, with corporate jobs would think about me having an online business. Or even this, let me ask you this. Were you afraid that they would think that you were so showy? Like, like, look at me, look at me because you had to put yourself out there. Cause I know I hear that a lot from people like I'm not showy. I'm private. Listen, you can be private, but don't be an entrepreneur, right? Like, (laughs) yes. Don't be the world's best kept secret out there. It's like, maybe it's not for you if you want to stay private Uh, because you have to, that's marketing. You have to be showy if you want to succeed in entrepreneurship. Yeah, I was definitely afraid that they would think I was being showy. I was afraid they would think I'd gone crazy. I was afraid that they would think I was delusional, that I had joined a cult. What, what, what helped you with that? Like, where was, where did the rubber meet the road where you were like, get a grip girl. And like, what step did you take? Like the first step, because you know, the first step is the scariest. Would you remember what you did that you were like, I have to do this and you did it. And then you were like an overcomer. Yeah, it was realizing that hiding felt out of integrity to me, that I was claiming to have this set of tools that could help you like transform your mind and the way that you relate to the world and get over the fear of meeting other people's expectations and get past worrying about what other people think and judgment and rejection. And then here I was hiding in my kitchen, hunched over a laptop, trying to avoid all of the emotions that I was saying I had the tools to no longer be afraid of. And I realized that I just needed to take my own medicine. I needed to apply my work, my process, my tools to the problem of visibility, personal visibility in my business, the same way I was helping my clients apply it to confidence in sales. What an overcoming event, right? Like, wow, aha moment at best. Well, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Now you're on the other side of it, right? And, And you know, the truth is you can hire companies that can do that for you. Uh, You know, there's so many things you can do, but look at how that has shifted your success and visibility just because of those few things. That's amazing. And I love that you brought that back to your integrity and your values, because that is so important. And how many times we are, are, we let our fears 
uh, put us in that place where we're not in alignment with our integrity and our values. I think we need to like check that on a regular basis when we're feeling a certain way or we're resisting back to your internal and external resistance. Like, oh my gosh, there should be like this, this daily check of that because it really will put us back on the right path and take us back to what our values and integrity are so that we can work within them. And I mean, if we can't be the best version of ourselves, who can we be, right? We, right? we just can't. And so I love how you just brought that back. Thank you for that. Amazing. This has been absolutely a joy to have this conversation with you to dig as deep. Did you think we were even going this far? <laughs> I didn't, honestly, I just was like, yeah, this is what we're going to talk about. But you know what? I love to just watch where it goes because I really believe that it goes where the people need to hear it. You know, the people are they're they're sitting on the edge of their seats, listening because they want to learn from you and from these conversations that are so true and authentic of who you are and who some of them are, too. And so helpful. I love it. So before we say goodbye, I am going to ask you this is what I want to ask you. Tell us about the the one book that had the biggest impact on you whether it's life or business, what was the one book? The Body is Not an Apology. <laughs> Repeat that. Yep. It's called The Body is Not an Apology. It's Radical Self-Love. I by, love that. By Sonia Renee Taylor. And it's truly, I, I read the, the paper book and listened to the audio book. It's narrated by the author. And it is... <sighs> It is a beautifully written book. And the thing that I love about it so much is it's not just about loving our own bodies. It's about how when we judge other people's bodies, those judgments are mirrored back on ourselves and our own bodies. So that it's really, yeah, it's radical self-love both for ourselves and for those around us. That is fabulous. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you for being here, for sharing so much today. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you are face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Brooke. Get back up. Because being face down on the ground is not the worst thing. Feel your feelings. Feel your feelings in your body and then get back up. Yes, whatever you do, get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.